Hey, Vetfolio Voice listeners, thanks for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Zoetis and features one of my very favorite people to talk to, and that is Dr. Tammy Grubb, anesthesiologist extraordinaire. Dr. Grubb has a strong focus on pain management, so she was the perfect person for this podcast because this episode features a pain management option we have all been eagerly awaiting, and that is Librella or Betavetmab injection. If you don't know, Librella is an injectable antibody therapy designed to help alleviate osteoarthritis pain in dogs. And in this episode, Dr. Grubb and I dive into how it works, when to use it, how to use it, and what we know from our colleagues in Europe who have been using Librella for some time now. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Grubb and then we will learn more about this exciting new option. Dr. Tamara Grubb is a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Anesthesia and Analgesia with a strong focus in pain management. She owns an anesthesia and analgesia and continuing education consulting practice, which serves both small and large animals. Dr. Grubb is a national and international educator and lecturer, a certified acupuncturist, an adjunct professor of anesthesia and analgesia, and the president-elect of the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management. She is co-author of two books, including Veterinary Anesthesia and Pain Management for Nurses and Technicians. And Dr. Grubb's favorite achievement is winning the Distinguished Teaching Award from students at two universities. She is absolutely fantastic to talk to. Let's go ahead and jump into our episode. All right, so for this episode, I am joined by the amazing Dr. Tammy Grubb, and we're going to talk about something really exciting, something we've all been waiting for. We're going to talk about canine osteoarthritis. That's not the exciting part, but we're also going to talk about Labrella or Betavetmab injection and how that can be a treatment option in some of our canine osteoarthritis patients. So Dr. Grubb, thank you so much for joining me again. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you too. These are always a lot of fun and I learn a lot and I hope our audience learns a lot. I'm glad that you feel like you learn a lot because like you're one of my favorite people to sit down with because always, you know, drugs that I've used for quite a long time, I feel like I learned so much when I talk to you about them. And so I'm extra excited to talk about one that I've never used before. Right. It's so exciting to finally have it, isn't it? Um, We've all been waiting for this and our dogs have been waiting for this for a long time. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go ahead. We'll dive right in. I know that osteoarthritis is one of the most common causes of chronic pain in humans. So does that carry over into our canine patients? Yeah, it really does. Osteoarthritis is the most common cause of chronic pain, probably in all mammals, certainly the mammals that we are working with commonly. And, you know, epidemiologists that study osteoarthritis and chronic pain tell us that nearly 40% of our entire dog population, so that's a lot, nearly 40% of dogs have some signs of osteoarthritis pain. But we also know that only 33% of those dogs are being treated. That leaves a lot of dogs in pain. So we can see that osteoarthritis pain is definitely underdiagnosed and undertreated. That is, those are some really sad numbers. I think so too, because that represents a whole lot of dogs out there in pain that we could help, but we have to see them. 
Right. Absolutely. So, you know, that opens the whole other conversation of getting them in the door and, and getting them diagnosed. And, you know, certainly there's there can be multiple barriers to treatment. So let's dive into, you know, a little bit more about how we can get more of these dogs diagnosed and treated Starting with with the why, why are we missing out on diagnosing so many dogs with OA and and helping these patients with pain relief? You know, the biggest why is our extremely caring, but not knowing what pain looks like, pet parents. And just think about it. You know, I know I hear it in our own clinic. I've heard it in other clinics, people saying, really, the owners couldn't tell that their dog was in pain. You know, we get kind of scornful. But just think about it. If you did not know what pain looked like, if you'd never been in pain, you'd never had a pet in pain, how would you know what pain looks like? Because they don't communicate with us the way we communicate with each other. I mean, we tell each other if we're in pain, I'm going to make sure everybody knows exactly how (laughs) I feel. But my dog doesn't do that. And owners or pet parents, whichever you like to call them, I'm sure you've experienced the same in your practice. What they think chronic pain looks like is the dog crying or the dog not eating. And so if they are not crying and still eating, the owners don't know what pain looks like. And and we all know that crying, it, it can occur with acute pain or maybe an acute exacerbation of chronic pain. But any of us in chronic pain, including our dogs, we're not crying all the time, right? Even if we're in pain. And then I would agree with an owner that if a dog stops eating, something's wrong and it could be pain, but they will eat right up until the last minute, many of them, because they eat for survival. So getting the owners to see that what pain looks like in animals is the impact of pain on that animal. So what we see then is changes in behavior, pain type behavior, withdrawing or maybe becoming aggressive, depending on the the pet. And we see changes in mobility, right? They can't move around like they could before, but owners often think that that's just slowing down with age. And we can age and not be painful. So finding a way to teach owners that behavior changes and mobility changes are indicative of pain would help a lot of owners see pain and then bring those dogs into us so that we can treat them. But without the owners, it's almost hopeless for us. Like you said, there's kind of a lot to consider here because we have to get the owners to recognize the pain so that they can relay what's going on to us at home. But also when we're talking about implementing treatment options, I mean, an owner's not going to treat their dog if they don't if they don't buy into the fact that, no, this really is pain. And I think you're right on track there with what I've seen clinically. I mean, how many times have I had the conversation in the exam room with owners of, you know, if, if you had pain in your leg, would you cry out every time you took a step? Well, probably not. Now me, I might, I'm kind of a wimp, but <laughs> <laughs> many, many owners, you know, many, many people, you, you limp and you know, you, you don't weight bear and that's kind of the sign that you're in pain or, you know, you have an altered gait or something like that. It's, it's not the crying out and the not eating. I, I have that talk sometimes with owners about dental pain where they'll say, well, they're still eating fine. I say, well, let me tell you, if I had a sore tooth, it would I would not stop eating. It would take a whole lot more than that to get me to stop <laughs> eating. So um, yeah, getting this message across so that we can have owners recognize it and relay to us what's going on at home, that their pet is in pain, but also be willing to treat when we're suggesting these options to help manage the pain. Right, absolutely. And I think 
um, I'm just going to bring it back in that the new drug, the Labrella injection really helps us with that because it gives the owners another option. They don't have to give pills every day. Or if for some reason, like if, if the dog is on a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, which is also a very powerful drug class, and that can be once a day, but what if it's not working or the dog, it's contraindicated, so we pick a lesser potent drug like gabapentin, that's three times a day. So getting the owners to even want to try treatment sometimes can be quite difficult. So having another option where it's a once monthly sub-Q injection, I think that really opens up our, our communication with the owner on we have these options to treat your dog for pain. And yes, we think it's pain. And I've heard it so many times and I know you have too. Yep, doc, he's limping, but he's not in pain. Yes. <laughs> oh, so many times. Oh right. I don't know. Unless one leg is shorter than the other. I don't know <laughs> why else they would limp. But then having this option to say, we can give this the sub-Q injection, we think it's pain, let's see how the dog responds to a pain-relieving drug. And so it's, you know, just another, another way to get these patients treated. I agree with you all about the options there because, you know, different patients require different things and have different contraindications. And, you know, some dogs let's face it, you can't pill them. And so sure, maybe, you know, you put them on a, on a potent pain reliever and it makes a big difference, but that now, you know, we're damaging human animal bond and the relationship between the owner and the pet because they're having to give these pills and the dog hates it. So being able to really adapt our treatment plan to our individual patient and, and have all of these options avail- available is so important. I completely agree about the human animal bond. And so often that is what breaks it. It's not the disease itself. And I'm calling pain a disease, right? We know chronic pain is a disease. Again, we can't cure osteoarthritis, but we can control the pain. So we're controlling the disease, the, the disease, the pain. And that really, the pain itself obviously isn't good for the human animal bond, but having to treat again, especially multiple times per day, and those little dogs that will not eat pills in their food, won't take pills, so you're having to shove them down their throat, and an owner will quit us in a finger snap, right, because they don't want their dog hiding under the bed from them. And I don't blame them. I don't want my dog hiding yeah. under the bed either. So yeah, multiple treatments, and especially again, those drugs that even aren't, aren't even that potent, really it's not a great option for us now that especially now that we have something way better yes yes and i'm looking forward to talking about that some more so let's go ahead and jump into that so tell us more about labrella or betavetmab injection we know it's indicated for the control of canine oa pain but tell us more about it what is it how does it work what are some of the advantages of using it so yeah, lots of excitement about this new drug. It is a brand new drug class for treating osteoarthritis pain in our pets. There's one other drug in this class, of course, previously released for cats and now this one for dogs, but a, a novel drug class. So very, very exciting. And Labrella is an anti-nerve growth factor monoclonal antibody. And nerve growth factor is a cytokine that is a very potent generator and propagator of pain. It works in several sites in the pain pathway, and it just keeps amplifying pain at every level. And it's 
a weird cytokine because it's called nerve growth factor because in the fetus, it's responsible for the development of the normal nerves, the normal central nervous system. But in the adults, it changes and it's this really potent pain generator and propagator. And we know that it is expressed in osteoarthritic joints. So we need to do something about it. So enter the monoclonal antibodies. And with the monoclonal antibodies, they potentially have a safer profile because they're very targeted, right? They're targeted to this nerve growth factor. And with the, the antibodies, we they are obviously natural products in the body. And so their proteins are usually catabolized. And the monoclonal antibody platform also yields a, a longer duration drug. So these are once monthly sub-Q injection. So there's a whole lot of advantages from targeting this potent nerve growth factor to being a monoclonal antibody platform to having this longer duration of action and being an injection. So now the owners don't have to give pills at home. So it really fills this huge gap, both for its target, the nerve growth factor, Factor and the, all the things that the antibodies bring to a, a drug platform. So, so much excitement about Labrella. Yes, it is so cool. I think it's just been so long awaited to be able to use it because I know, at least speaking from my own point of view, I've become more and more comfortable with that monoclonal antibody platform, like you're talking about with drugs like Cytopoint or Silencia, which is Frunovetmab injection, and some of the other options that we have out there. And, you know, so so the idea of having another option out there where we can that we can use for canine OA is really exciting. But even so, you know, when we talk about bringing a new a new product, a new drug onto our shelves and using it on our patients, there can naturally be a little bit of apprehension there. But I understand that this this isn't necessarily new. It might be new for us here in the U.S., but I understand it's been on the market for over two years in countries outside of the U.S. So uh, is that where a lot of this clinical data that we have so far has come from? What have we what have we heard from countries that have been using it so far? Oh, you're so right. And I have been so jealous for two years. You know, <laughs> I think we should always be first. I wanted to be first. And now I'm kind of glad that we weren't because you're right. We have two years worth of data from several European countries in the UK and Brazil. It's been in Canada for longer than we've had it. I mean, lots of other countries that have had this drug. And in fact, I saw some data that said something like 4.6 million doses, over 4.6 million doses have been distributed in the EU. I mean, that's crazy. And I know not all of those are in dogs, right? Some are on the shelves, but as vets, we don't like to have a lot of inventory because that costs money. So sure. I think many of those are in dogs. So just building off the experience of the rest of the world, we see exactly the profile, we see the, the trend from the safety and efficacy studies. So very efficacious, high safety margin, and not just seeing it in the research dogs, but like you just said, seeing it from our colleagues around the world. And, you know, just, I was driving some of my con uh, colleagues in the UK crazy at first. I was like, are you sure it's working? Are there adverse? What's going on? And finally, my friend just said, stop, Tammy, just wait till you get it in the US <laughs> and use it. And once you use it, you'll see how wonderful it is. So just stop, stop. <laughs> I owe him a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, of course, like so many of these things, seeing is believing. And especially after my experience with being able to use Silencia, which, of course, is indicated for OA pain in cats. 
and seeing the impact that it had on one of my very favorite feline patients. I, I think I would have been doing the same thing of going, but tell me more, but I need to know like how I need to get myself even more excited than I already am. If that, you know, if that's possible. Right. <laughs> right. And you're right. I think that's helped us all a lot with Silencia or Frunavet. Mab. Those are always hard for me to say. Silencia yeah. Prunivet Mab injection approved for cats. You know, we've seen it just be miraculous in some cats and have a good effect in most cats. So it really is so ready for the dog drug to come onto the market. And yeah, really high efficacy. And, you know, we know again from some market research that in the UK, 75% of the OA treatments from veterinarians in dogs are just the Lorella alone. So that can eliminate the, or at least decrease the need for polypharmacy. Because I'm not saying 100%, right? There's sources of pain uh, that may need other treatments. So can be, it's really obviously very effective. And the the number one adverse, the main adverse effects are exactly what's on the label, and that is urinary tract infection, bacterial skin infection, and dermatitis, and all of those in a low percentage and really no different from the placebo or minimal differences. So yeah, so far it's really fairly amazing. That's really amazing and really exciting. And I'm I'm particularly interested in what you said about eliminating the polypharmacy because we talked a little bit earlier about you know some animals who might be hard to pill or may have contraindications for certain drugs. Of course, there's financial considerations to keep in mind. So, you know, sometimes you know, I feel very fortunate that we have a lot of options in our in our arsenal against arthritis here in the dogs that we're treating. But to be able to actually eliminate some of those options sounds even better. <laughs> right, or at least to decrease them for sure. They may not be eliminated in all patients, but you know, the, the only other drugs that are FDA approved in the U.S. are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and I'm talking about approved for osteoarthritis, and Adequan, and although Adequan has a role, it's not a really potent drug. Like The only really potent and predictable drug classes are the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and the, the anti-nerve growth factor monoclonal antibodies, so anything else that we have to add on is just like, I hope this works. Works. Sometimes it does. And I'm not the only one that says this. I encourage everyone to download the 2022 AHA pain management guidelines. And remember, all the AHA guidelines are free. You just go to aha.org and download them. And anyone can have them. You don't have to be a member. And in those guidelines, they say the same thing I just said, that those two drug classes are the most potent and predictable. So we want to use those whenever we can, not only for rapid decrease of the pet's pain, but also what you and I are talking about, decreased caregiver burden. If it's hard, if it's cumbersome, if it feels like breaking that human-animal bond, the owners are not going to do it. So this way, one injection, and you know, here's another thing that's good about the one injection. Again, I think we probably had the same experience. How many times have we sent home something, especially again, like gabapentin, that's three times a day with an owner knowing what's going to happen, which is the dog's not going to get it. Not every pet, I keep saying pet owner or pet parent, whichever is preferred, but the, we know that compliance can be really low and rightfully so. So in this way, with this injection, compliance is in our hands, right? So it's good for the dog. The pain's decreased. It's good for the owner because it's supportive of the human-animal bond and dogs that are hard to give pills to. And it's so good for us because we know they got it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, clearly you had me convinced here here pretty early on. <laughs> did I have you at hello, Cassie? You did. You did. You always do, Tammy. Uh, uh, but, you know, thinking from the whole team approach, because, you know, if we're talking about giving an injection, sometimes those appointments might fall to um, to veterinary technician technicians or, you know, if a client were to call in and ask about this over the phone, maybe our CSRs are talking about this. And of course, you know, we have practice managers who are helping to make some of the financial decisions. So thinking about this from a team approach, how do we get the whole team as as excited as we are right now? <laughs> you know, I'm really glad that you asked because you're right. This should have been a team approach all along, right? Pain is everybody's problem from the owner's through the front office, through our veterinary technicians or nurses, to the veterinarians, and then back again. It's everybody's problem, and it takes a team. So first, we need the team helping the owner to identify pain, as we've mentioned, and we'll talk about some tools in a little bit that I think are really easy. And the receptionist can be the first line in that defense. So what what I recommend is if you have a computer program, if your software allows you to screen patients, you can start to identify the, the dogs that are at risk for development of osteoarthritis. And those are overweight dogs. So maybe your record has a code for overweight, certainly age. So greater than six years of age, we know that the increase is pretty rapid as far as development of osteoarthritis. And then any dog in your practice that has had a previous joint injury or joint surgery, those are our huge red flags for the development of osteoarthritis. So if those pop up in your computer or if your receptionist recognizes it, sending them some tools to identify pain. And again, we'll come back to those. So they start with that conversation when they can. If not, when they, the client comes into the clinic, that the same, that person could start the conversation then, hey, I remember your dog had surgery in our clinic last year and let's revisit uh, some pain. I want you to fill out this form. And our nurses and technicians, right? They're the pain champions. And I'm sorry, I'm going back and forth with nurses, technicians, but it depends on the country that they're licensed in. And this is an international drug. So I'm speaking internationally. That though, That's our pain champions, right? They want to be the voice for the patient. So they play a big role in getting the owners to fill out the forms, to answer some questions, and then pass that on to the vet. And then, of course, we have a conversation and treat. They go back out with the technician who reinforces what we said, back out through the front office where they, they reinforce it again. But by each person playing a little role, it's not, it's not a huge endeavor, right? Each person has their role and does their part. And it's win-win-win because that's easier for us and obviously better for the dog and then back to the owner and the human-animal bond. And one of the pushbacks about this, like, oh, we're going to get the owners in and they're going to come back and they get this injection every month. In our minds as vets, owners don't like to bring their pets in. And I wouldn't disagree with that, except we know that when they see the response to labrella, they come back. Because what we know from UK data is that dogs got an average of eight months treatment over a year. So they weren't coming in every month like we recommend. Not all of them were. Like obviously some, won, if eight, some were if eight is the average. But they were getting eight months of pain relief. What we know from market data in the U.S. is that owners average two months of administration of NSAIDs. So two, two months versus eight months, right? That's quadrupled. And so we do know when we have this team approach, when we see the owners, show the owners the advantage, they do keep coming back. And then, as you said, 
that second and third visit, because we recommend two, three dosages, right? I never quit after one anything, so definitely <laughs> get more than one. And those in most, in many practices are technician appointments, because you're right, that's, that's faster. The owner can get in, get their injection, and then get back out. Although I do recommend that the technician still score that dog for pain using the tools that we'll talk about. But yeah, it can be really, really streamlined. It is a sub-Q injection. So yes, we can use our veterinary professional staff to do that. Absolutely. And I want to bring you back around to those resources there, talking about scoring and things like that, because that can help with our initial diagnosis. And then certainly with the monitoring, especially if maybe we maybe we do have an owner who's saying, I don't know if I want to keep bringing them in. This is kind of a pain in the neck to keep making this appointment. Using some of these resources to explain the type of benefit that their pet is getting and, and show them like, hey, you know, your, your pet was here. Now we're here. It can be very convincing. So so let me bring you back around to those resources real quick. Absolutely, we need to talk about the resources. And I'm going to tell you that Zoetis has my favorite set of resources. And I'm not saying that because this is a Zoetis drug. But Zoetis has been focused on relieving pain of osteoarthritis for a really, really long time. And they have a lot of tools for us as veterinarians. So if you go to labrellavetteam.com, labrellavetteam.com. There's a ton of information there, all about osteoarthritis, all about these new anti-nerve growth factor monoclonal antibodies, tons of tools for reaching your clients, things that the receptionist can send out ahead of time that can be filled out in the clinic. Uh, what, is an oste- what is osteoarthritis definition? What does osteoarthritis look like? So, so many tools to help us get started. And they're very simple, like most of them are one page. So please go there. And my two favorite things are the osteoarthritis checklist, and it's a six questions about your dog's behavior, social ability, mobility, uh, has it had any previous joint injuries or surgeries like we've already mentioned, really quick, check, 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 very fast for the owner to fill out, and they give us a ton of information. And then some mobility videos on here's your dog on a walk and it's trotting ahead and it's all happy, or is your dog lagging behind and you're dragging it with a leash, right? So showing the owner's changes in behavior and changes in mobility, as we've already mentioned, and especially in this really quick checklist format, we all know how good checklists are. They help us remember stuff. And then in this this video format where you see yourself with your dog and what its mobility is like, they are so fast for anybody in the clinic to fill out, including the owner, and they are really game changers. They keep us focused. They keep us asking the right questions. Checklists are fast, so we think it's it can be you know so time consuming to diagnose osteoarthritis pain, but using the checklist and the mobility videos, it's really not. And when the owners come in with the idea that their dog might have pain, they are so much more receptive than when we say, hey, your dog might have pain. And they say, no, it doesn't. And we go, yeah, it does. And they say, no, it doesn't, doc. If it did, I would bring it in for pain, right? We've offended them. So if they come in with this, hey, doc, I'd like to talk to you about these few things. It Could this be pain? 
Oh, Cassie, it's it, it it's just like the sun comes out. I mean, it's just it's so much easier to talk to the owner and so much faster. So those checklists and mobility videos, those are the ones that we send out ahead of time for the owners to fill out at home. We put them on social media. We put them on the loop, the TV and the lobby. Wherever we can find owners is where we need these tools. Everywhere that we can find owners, which really is a lot of internet, right? And social media, they need to be seeing these tools. We know they're going to go to the internet. So let's get these tools where they can find them on the internet. Again, whether it's the, cl the clinic Facebook page or clinic web page or whatever owners go to, we need these tools out there because they really work. Absolutely. I mean, pictures worth a thousand words. Yeah, it really is. You know, and it's like getting the owner to see their dog lagging behind on the walk. Like, you know, if you go to a car dealership, they, they want you to see yourself in the car. So they want you to sit in it and put the sunroof down, right? It's kind of like that, except we're diagnosing pain instead of buying a new car. So maybe not as much fun, but sure is good for the dog. The other thing I really recommend, and I bet you do too, is having owners take home videos of their pets being mobile, right? Not just cute costume pets, but walking, trotting, jumping, going upstairs, playing ball, whatever that, that dog does that indicates its mobility. Because we all know that they're not going to be very mobile in the clinic. We're not going to see those mobility changes. And also, if there are specific behavior changes, you know, here's my little white dog hiding under the bed, and it never used to do that. We need to see those. And then when it comes back to the efficacy of our treatment, and we're talking about Labrella here, we can show the owner, here's the video you sent me before we started Labrella, and here's the video after, and look at the difference, right? This is amazing. And also, once the effects kind of peak out and the dog is doing well, sometimes owners will say, this drug isn't working anymore. And we can say, not working? Well, it's not any better. Is he worse? Well, I don't know. And we can go back to that first video and say, does he look like this? And they say, no. Okay. <laughs> then it's still working. See you in a month. So the videos are incredibly helpful too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's kind of one of those like, well, he wasn't having seizures anymore. So I stopped giving the seizure medication. It's like, no, the seizure <laughs> medication is working. That's right, why exactly. he's having seizures. <laughs> right. Not how you want to find out it was working, but yep, that, <laughs> we've all had that happen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I certainly want to make sure and ask about side effects here with maybe what our colleagues have seen in the UK and what the research study shows. What are we looking at in terms of side effects that we should be aware of both in our patients and as cautions to the veterinary professionals who are administering this drug? Great question. And that's so important to me. Every time we talk about the efficacy of a drug, we should always talk about the safety because it's two sides of the coin, right? We're giving the drug and we could see either side. The main adverse reactions that are being seen are urinary tract infections, bacterial skin infections, and dermatitis. And those were really not significantly different or not very significantly different from the control groups I've seen in the, the placebo group as well. As far as contraindications, there's really only two. And the first one is any patient that has a known hypersensitivity, or any dog patient, obviously, that has a known hypersensitivity to bed and vetmab. And then the second one is any dog that would be used for breeding that is pregnant or that is lactating. Because remember, nerve growth factor is important for normal fetal 
central nervous system development or nervous system development. So we wouldn't want those fetuses to come in contact with that drug. So those are the only two contraindications. And there's also a user safety warning with Labrella. And that is that we we recommend, or Zoetis recommends, that if pregnant women or lactating women or women who are planning to become pregnant are injecting the drug, they be very, very careful that they don't self-inject and expose themselves to the nerve growth factor. Now, that's just that's not just a needle prick, right? You would have to inject the drug, but still we want those women to be very careful and not do that. And then as you and I have already talked about, this is a team approach. So there is somebody else in the practice likely that can give a sub-Q injection. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And all of that is on the label, the product information for Labrella. Sure, absolutely. And if anybody has questions or wants more information, you can find full Labrella prescribing information at labrellapi.com. That's L-I-B-R-E-L-A-P-I.com. And just because we mentioned silencia earlier as, you know, being used in felines, what are the safety recommendations for that one? Oh, yeah, great. Glad we brought it back up. So silencia has the exact same contraindications for as for labrella. So you wouldn't use it in a cat that was pregnant or meant for breeding or lactating and also a cat with known hypersensitivity. And then the same human recommendation that that a, a person giving the, the drug not self-inject. And if you're pregnant, probably better to have somebody else do it. And the main adverse effects listed for silencia in cats are vomiting and injection size pain. Absolutely. And I also see on both the Labrella and Silencia label under the user safety warning, you know, of course, to be aware that hypersensitivity reactions, including anaphylaxis, could potentially occur with self-injection. Tammy, this has been such a great conversation. I mean, I was excited before we had this conversation, but now I'm even more excited per usual after you and I have these talks. So thank you so much for joining me. Are there any final thoughts you want to share with everyone? I really do have some final thoughts. And the main one is that it's so wonderful that we are having this conversation in September because September is Animal Pain Awareness Month. And September is also Pain Awareness Month in human medicine. So we're following that one health mantra and bringing that into our patients. So we really want everybody to be focusing on animal pain and getting information out to those pet owners or pet parents and getting those pets into our practice so we can treat pain. So it's really the perfect month for this. It's sponsored by the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management. So you can find some more information on our website. And because Labrella is pending, I want to make sure we have all those dog patients ready to get their Labrella. So my advice to everybody out there is don't do like I did with Silencia and wait till it came. And it's like, what cat needed it? I can't remember. My recommendation is start putting a check mark by those dogs that really need Labrella, having their record ready so that you can call their owners when Labrella's available and have them come in for treatment of their osteoarthritis pain. I love it. And that is such great advice. And if you guys are as excited as we clearly are about this, don't forget about LabrellaVetTeam.com to go get all of the latest updates on it. Well, I hope everybody else is as excited as I am for this new option in osteoarthritis management for our canine patients. 
Dr. Grubb, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Zoetis, for making this episode possible. And of course, thanks to all of you for joining us. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. 